And welcome back once again to the Bonus Features Podcast after our brief hiatus. This, as always, is your host, Ed. And I am joined today by a very special guest, making her first appearance on the podcast, um, is our children's pastor, Sue Burson. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. I'm excited to be here. Uh, what's it, what, what are your first, what are your initial feelings and thoughts about being on the podcast finally? Well, it's just such a thrill to see you with headphones on. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a good look. Yeah. Um, Sue is probably our biggest and first fan. Uh, she has just followed the podcast, you know, so closely and, listen uh, to every minute. No. So Sue, a couple of fun facts about Sue, uh, pastor Sue, how long have you attended OCEC? I first started attending in 1964. Long time. Wow, okay. So I didn't attend consecu- uh, all of that time because we moved away and went to graduate school in other states and then came back and started attending again. So we were gone for about 10 years. But you but, were you still a Christian in those times? Oh, yes. Okay. Very much so. That's good. Even though I did go to a different denomination. Mm. I, so you were kind of a... Yeah, well, I'm a Christian. You know. um, and um, another interesting fact about Pastor Sue is that uh, we were just talking about this in the office. She has an irrational fear of sound equipment. For some um, funny reason. Some might call it irrational. <laughs> Sue might call it rational. She was attacked by a soundboard many months ago and is still recovering. So Spent two hours in physical therapy this morning as a result. So when our youth pastor lined a hallway with sound equipment, because he's the hallway a broom. I need to be in. And that same hallway has a lot of lights burn out. It's a problem. Yeah. Sue's being forced to walk through a dark hallway full of soundboards. And so. The PTSD has gotten to me. Yeah. So um, I, we have taken a couple of weeks off of the podcast. And um, mostly that's because uh, it turns out that doing church online is a lot harder than we thought it would be in terms of all the work it takes to make it happen. So we um, have had to take a break for a few weeks, but we're kind of back and um, talking about this week's message from um, Acts. Uh, cha- I think it's chapter three, right? Yes. Is that right? Okay. Um, so this week's message was about Peter's, uh, first, the first miraculous healing that happens and how Peter and John handle that. And, um, I, the first thing I like to do when we have these podcasts and we have, um, a guest with us is to just ask the guest first, first off, if they had any, uh, I guess ideas or thoughts or things that, that, that hearing the message or that being in that passage brought up for them that may elaborate a little bit on on the message. And Sue, it sounded like you had a few. Um, I did. So. Um, I really appreciated <clears throat> the way you pointed out the fact that... I like this... sentences that start that way. What? I like sentences that I, start I knew what. <laughs> <laughs> that healing shows us the heart of God. Um, And this healing in particular, when someone was so desperate and in such a a hard situation, and the words, I I wrote them down because they were worth memorizing and remembering. It it tells us that God cares about us, that he hears us, 
that he knows us, he sympathizes with us, he pays attention to what's happening in our lives. And that's, I have found that true over the years and especially in this last year. And I, I'm just grateful to be reminded of the fact in this time when everybody's feeling at odds and feeling like, God, do you even know what's going on here with this whole COVID-19 thing? And just that reminder, God cares about us. He knows our situation. He's here with us. He's paying attention. Those, those were good reminders. Um, I, I have a lot of memories of you um, talking about ways over the past few years that God, it seems to be one of the ways that you talk about how God is showing you things is, you know, God showed, God did this thing happen and God showed me he is personal or he cares or he's paying attention or he sees what's happening. Like, like there's a, why do you think there is comfort just in knowing that, um, or having that reminder that God actually does? I mean, we, if we believe in this omniscient, all, you know, powerful, all knowing God, then why do you think it's a comfort to be reminded of it when those things happen? Well, I think it's easy to think in theory that God knows everything, but to honestly feel that affect me and have him um, be so personal that you realize, oh, he he heard that cry from me and he answered me. Um, And that little detail that I was so worried about and he took care of so miraculously, wow, that the God that is so big cares about little old me. And that's and that's a message we want to hear right now. I mean, like I said, we're, we're all in this strange situation where it's hard to feel like, yeah, God's overall the whole earth, but is he caring about the day-to-day consequences of what this situation is doing to me emotionally, financially, re- relationally, or whatever? And those reminders from God, I am here. I am, I, I am paying attention and I will take care of you, are precious things to hold on to and to remember. Hmm. And they give us strength to go through the next day. Well, I think, um, so would it be correct to say that if you had to pick one extreme or another, you would say you lean more towards the sort of bigness and greatness of God as opposed to the relatability of God. You know, there's these two kind of extreme mm-hmm. ways that you can go, God is God is in me, God is, you know, so personal. Like, would you say that you tend to err on the side of, oh, look at how big God is, God is so great, um, or, or the other? Both. <laughs> because I was raised with the God is so big piece, and that was all of my childhood and stuff, that was what I focused on. And as I grew older... I began to experience the more personal side of God and um, and discovering just how much not only is he great and powerful, but he is also very personal. So mm-hmm. it's been a transition from overemphasizing one to almost overemphasizing the other because he has been so personal for me and yeah. present for me. He doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always answer the prayers he doesn't always give us the miracle, which is what this whole passage is about, this miracle happening. And yet the moment we confront it, so many of us are like, yeah, but I don't get most of the 
I don't get many of the things I ask for. And so one of the ways that we deal with not getting what we ask for is we say, well, God's maybe so big, maybe he's impersonal. Maybe I can't expect him to give me what I ask for because of, of, of those things. And mm-hmm. that's why the personal reminder matters so much is it's no, it's not that he doesn't hear us. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that, uh, the will of God is something that is far more complex than just take care of me and give me all the things that I want. Um, exactly. what do you think about you, you had talked to me before, um, about just the reminder and the message and, and in this passage with, with this miracle and with Peter of, um, not getting what you want, but getting God still. Yeah. Well, as, as, uh, my dad used to always say, that's, that's where you went from preaching to meddling because, <laughs> because it got a little too personal and that. it's not the thing that we want to hear because we want, you know, we want to think that our motives are right. But, um, yeah, I think there was a, there was a point where I, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but there's a point in the message where I was saying, we're often saying to God, I know that I shouldn't, uh, need this thing, but I want it, but, anyway. I, but I want it. <laughs> yeah. And I know I shouldn't be desperate and dependent on this thing, but I want it anyway. Yeah. And, and when, when we want that more than we want God, and if we're honest with ourselves, that's often the case that, like I said, that's when you went from preaching to meddling, because that's, that's very true. Um, one of my favorite Tim Keller quotes, um, helps me in those kinds of situations. And one of the things he says is God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And so much of the time, um, we are begging God for something that really is may make our present situation more comfortable, either financially or emotionally or whatever, but in the long run, will pull us further away from him and will do more damage. And so really, he's giving us what has the potential to draw us closer to him. And if we trust him that he's doing this for our good and is going to walk with us through it, that will make a huge difference. Great illustration to, <laughs> to make that a little more realistic for the parents that are home with toddlers and the toddler who is throwing a huge tantrum because they want this or that, that the parent knows if they get that, if they get that particular food or that particular item, it will, it will make them sick and they will not be happy afterwards. <laughs> And so the parent does not say yes to that. And I often think, God, is that how you see me? Am I that toddler, you know, dropping down in the middle of the floor and wailing and pounding my fists and saying, I want this, I want this. And you're going, it's so not good for you. And I'm out of love for you. I am not going to give that to you. Hmm. I think that's... um... There are times in parenting where parents can't give their kids things because they just don't have the ability to. Mm-hmm. And those are almost easier times to navigate because it's easier to just say, listen, I don't have it. We don't have the money. Mm-hmm. I can't do that thing. I can't make it happen. I'm sorry. At the end. If the child knows that the parent has the resources, the ability to give them what they want, but they're choosing not to, then it becomes about, you don't love me. You don't want me to. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine, I don't, I would, I don't know from personal experience, but I imagine that's, what's difficult for rich people, um, is, uh, is your kids know that you can give them any mm-hmm. of the things that they want that they ask for. It's just a matter of you choose not to. I think that's also why it's probably easy for us to have a really hard time with this with, with God as well. He can, you know, mm-hmm. he can do these things. He, he showed it in this 
miracle of healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it's difficult to not resent him or not, not, not be frustrated, you know, but I think the, um, the other thing that this brings up is just the idea of, I mean, really when it gets down to it, when the, when the rubber meets the road, I think we, we really, really struggle with wanting, uh, there's the, there's the non-negotiables or the things that are off limits. Um, I've heard this come up before in Bible studies with people when we're talking about things, people say, uh, this one's off limits, or if God ever did this, or if mm. this ever happened, Got you it. know, yeah. and we almost create ultimatums for God. Mm -hmm. And we say, I'm not, you know, um, and I think I'm as, as a person who likes to think I'm pretty self-aware, I'm always kind of surprised when people say that. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get a little over here. I don't want to get struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, but that is really, I mean, I, whether we say it or not, I think we all have those things, at least as sometimes in our lives. Oh yeah. I clearly remember as, as a grade schooler saying, God, you know, I, I want to follow you, but I do not want to be a missionary in Africa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do not want to go to Africa. And so that was kind of my bottom line at, at that point of don't, don't make me do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, and I think I've thought that with my children, I've thought oh, yeah. that in terms of having children, it really did change my idea of, I don't know, of wanting, wanting mm -hmm. something, um, so badly. Um, it's very hard to think of a, a situation in which God could be good, but you could lose a child. Mm -hmm. um, how is he good? Yeah. And my child is, is lost, and yet people lose children, mm -hmm. and they're forced to deal with that, you know, yeah. and kind of reconcile themselves with that. I, I clearly remember um, the day when my daughter was 16 years old. And she had just celebrated her 16th birthday. You guys were best friends, right? We were very good friends at oh. that time. <laughs> there were other times that we were not. <laughs> but at that particular point in time, we were. Um, and um, a 16-year-old a from her high school was killed in an auto accident. And I literally, I was praying and I just said, God, don't ever do that to me. Don't ever take someone, my daughter away, my kids away, you know, please, please don't ever take them away. And I still remember where I sat and hearing his voice so clearly saying, do you trust me? Are you going to spend all of your time giving me ultimatums and, and clutching close to your kids and your family? Or are you going to thank me for every day that I give them to you and then let me take them when it's time to take them, whether it's before or after you. And that day I, I said, okay, God, I will not resent this anymore. I will not clutch anymore. I will hold them loosely and hold them before you. And, you know, he didn't take my kids at that point, but years later when Brent got his ALS, um, well, last year when he got his ALS, um, diagnosis, God reminded me of that conversation, and I was like, okay, God, you told me instead of clinging and holding on and saying, don't take him, don't take him, don't take him, I need to celebrate every day that I get him and be thankful and trust you that you're going to be with me through the loss, and he has been, and he continues to be, 
Doesn't mean there's not hard days, but he has been faithful. And I enjoyed so much more of my kids' lives and my husband's life because I wasn't constantly dreading that being taken away, that I'm, I'm grateful for that lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, it was what, 16, 15, 16 years ago. And that, that was a good thing to learn. And I think I, um, I learned some important things about trusting God on that day. Well, as, um, and you mentioned Brent as, as with a passage like this, that is, um, about a person receiving miraculous healing mm-hmm. from something that I think it's safe to say this, this crippled man had probably accepted this would be his lot in life. He right. wasn't at the, he wasn't there at the temple asking for healing. He just wanted money at that point. And, and you've dealt with, uh, with illness that, that didn't have healing. Uh, what were your, what were your guys' thoughts around the time that when Brent was diagnosed or as mm-hmm. he was, as he was declining, um, with how something like that works, you know, in this? Well, literally we went back to that conversation I had with God back when Beth was, was 16 and realized our lives are all going to end. We only have so much time but we have all of eternity and true and real healing happens when we step into heaven and we have our heavenly bodies and we are free to celebrate for all of eternity. So mm-hmm. I guess I would say Brent is healed. I just don't get to be healed with him at this moment, mm-hmm. but I will be healed as well. That is the hope of eternity. And these temporary physical healings that happen show us that that is a reality and so, you know, as much as I would have loved to have more time with my husband, mm-hmm. that wasn't what God had for us. And, um, but he yeah. has healed Brent and Brent is walking and leaping and praising God just as much as he is that crippled mm-hmm. man. And they're probably comparing stories. So do you, um, I, I think it sounded like other you've, you've talked with other people who, who have, either dealt with this disease or similar things and have dealt with a lot of anger or bitterness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I imagine part of that is um, not being able to have that gratefulness of. It's challenging in the day to day. And especially with a disease like that, where literally every day or two you lose another ability. Mm -hmm. It's hard to live grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, We worked real hard at it and some days we succeeded, some days we didn't, but God was gracious through all of it. So I, I, you know, I yeah. sympathize with people who are struggling through those, those kinds of situations. And this, this paralyzed man definitely knew what it was like to live with lots of limitations. And I, I, I can see why he would be walking and leaping. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that you, uh, you, you call it temporary physical healing. And I think that a lot of us, a lot of people who approach this passage think this guy got the greatest thing that anybody could hope for when in perspective, he received temporary physical healing. Yeah. He was only healed for a few years and then, you know, yeah. age is going to happen and death was, is going to happen. So. Yeah. That that wasn't the eternal healing, but when when he acknowledged Jesus as his Lord, that's when he got yeah. really healed. Yeah, and that was a big point of of I think talking about that passage was that the the real uh, the real blessing of that 
is not receiving the thing that you wanted. It was God, I think you used the word invading your mm-hmm. life and making it clear that he's there. He's personal. You have all of these guys' attention. Everybody's watching you now. This man has been miraculously healed. Uh, say something that they're really going to respond well to. But Peter immediately reminds them yet again, you were the ones that killed Jesus and he's the one that healed this guy. So uh, you guys need to confront um, sort of the ugliness in your lives, which is a hard thing about the gospel. Um, What are your thoughts on that, Sue? Well, we want to take the gospel and just take what we want out of it and not have to turn around and let it truly change us. And I heard a famous quote this week that I wanted to share um, because it was so, so on this point. And it's by D.A. Carson in his introduction to a commentary on Philippians. Um, He says, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learned to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure, my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of the gospel, please. And this whole mm. part about um, I, I don't really want to be transformed. I don't want to be changed. I just want the, the good parts and not the parts that actually make me have to to change my self-centeredness into an other-centeredness, which there, a lot of us kind of stand that way and, and can relate to that. Yeah, and, and the explosive growth of the church, it turns out, happened not because they were um, preaching something that they thought the people would be so eager to receive, but mm-hmm. they were preaching a very um, transformation. Tra- they were <laughs> yeah, letting God take everything and change it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, the la- the last thing that they um, I do like that quote, um, but I think it's pronounced "Duh Carson," <laughs> um, and I and that's how they referred to him at Talbot. Um, oh, did no, they? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> not when I went there, <laughs> he, that would be what he calls a fallacy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the last part of the message had to do with glory and the fact that mm. these guys were so afraid almost of people thinking that it was them who should be glorified and not God. And that's the part that I wanted to talk the most about because I, in the church world feel like I have the front row seat to how easy it is to, um, when you're trying to do things for God, to have other people, um, want to praise you. Mm -hmm. Um, have you found that that's a struggle as a pastor? All the time. 
because it's so easy to want to say, look, look what programs we're doing. Look what things we're offering. Look what, you know, look how many people are coming or whatever's doing. Aren't we doing a good job instead of saying, look at the miracles of what God has done and truly refocusing it on him. And there's that subtle desire behind it to get people's affirmation. And like you put the Facebook likes, you, you want people to, to approve of you and say, oh, isn't that cool? And aren't they a good church or aren't they a good staff member? Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's the enemy at work trying to refocus the really good things that God is doing and take away some glory from the Father. And we got to constantly battle that. Um, there seems to be this lie that people all too easily believe, which is if, if they like me mm-hmm. and I'm a Christian or I'm talking about God, then that means they will like God. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, life experience often shows you, especially in the church, that that is not how it works. If they like you and you don't point them to God, then they try to be you or they try to do the things you do or they try mm-hmm. to... Um, you know, embody that stuff. I, 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 I feel like I see that a lot in just our tendency to, it's much easier to model what we do after other people mm-hmm. than to say, what does God want? And, and, and what does it look like, you know, in, even in his word, but, um, and the analogy that I use was the kind of a, a track that's hard to stay on. I use that example because I really do feel that I have to constantly be aware of, and it seemed like the apostles, they they were dealing with extremes. It was either persecution or like adoration. People Mm -hmm. saying, you guys are amazing, I imagine. And um, I feel that that, that's just, if you're not constantly making, I guess the point of it is if you're not making a conscious effort to deflect the glory Mm-hmm. then you're probably not going to be doing it. You know, you're probably going to run the risk of receiving it. Well, and I, th- I think you made a good point of they went through the school of Jesus and and saw their failures next to him. And uh, Peter especially, you know, he he was all too aware just a few days before this, he had denied Jesus. And so he was very aware of the fact that he did not deserve this glory. Mm-hmm. And we get too comfortable with our own uh, accomplishments and start thinking that maybe we do deserve some of this credit. Whereas if we really think about how things stand, we, we don't deserve anything. Mm-hmm. We only deserve to give the glory to God and, and find joy in that. So Pastor Sue, before we wrap up, uh, I'd like to just ask you a couple of questions and get your input as a um, very um, uh, experienced children's pastor. I'm going to give you a couple of um, sort of this or that alternative or oh, options, and I just want you to like gut reaction, mm-hmm. okay? Gut instinct, okay? You're you're not going to make any friends doing this. You're only gonna you're going to galvanize a lot of groups of people, okay? So let's start easy. Uh, Felt board or puppet show? <laughs> puppet show. Puppet show. Okay. Uh, crayons or markers? Markers. Uh, uh, Bob the tomato or Larry the cucumber? Bob. Bob the tomato? Yeah, he's so cute. Oh, he's just cuter. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So how about, um, oh, this is a tough one. 
Jonah or David and Goliath? Which David one? and Goliath. David and Goliath? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you, can go, you can get a lot of mileage out of that one. <laughs> um, all right. Must have. Must have. Uh, laminator or die cut machine? Ooh. You only get one. Oh, but you got to have both. I know you got to laminate the die cuts. <laughs> yes, you do. So I can't even call that one. Oh, gosh. I knew there'd be one. Okay, fine. How about this? Uh, best die cut shape. You only get one. There is a wrong. There is a right answer to this. There is a right answer to this. Probably cross. Yes, that yes, is the right we, answer. We have many. It's gonna possibly so. say dove, but yeah, cross is the right answer. Okay. Oh, Goldfish or fruit snacks? Fruit snacks. Why? Because they taste better. <laughs> I can't stand goldfish. You can't stand goldfish. I don't like goldfish. I know heresy. Whoops. Yeah. Oh, you said goodness. it was galvanizing. I'm. I'm gonna get. Well, My I app figure, is filled with goldfish now. I figure you wouldn't like goldfish because if you step on a goldfish, it makes a mess. But if you step on a fruit snack, it just kind of is there. Squishes. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I don't want to ask you anymore because I think it's going to get ugly. But um, <laughs> we've learned a lot about Yes, about I've, I, I've made enough enemies right now. How about now, this? How so. about this? Children or adults? Children. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. So much easier. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, Pastor Sue, thank you for being our guest today on the podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Um, it was nice to have you. Uh, we are sitting more than six feet away at our very large table. And um, as usual, I want to thank, uh, well, we don't have Caitlin in the room uh, twisting the dials and pulling the switches. Um, although we've been texting her a lot, and it sounds like she's keeping busy out on her farm in Canby. And um, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, which was going to be... Pepperidge Farm Goldfish. Uh, and I blew it. And you kind of blew it. And so. now it needs to be Welch's Fruit Snacks. Welch's Fruit Snacks? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, thanks Gluten to Welch's free. Fruit Snacks. Gluten-free, mm -hmm. but probably not sugar-free. Mm -hmm, so uh, we try to load the kids up with them right at the last minute and uh, and and let let everybody enjoy the after. So um, all right. Um, until next time. Hopefully it'll be next week, but we'll see. Uh, Shalom. Children's pastor emeritus uh, Sue Burt. What does emeritus mean? <laughs> Past. Oh, it does. <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought it just meant like distinguished. Uh, no, it, it means they're retired and gone, oh. <laughs> and and we've honored them with that title to continue. So wow. please don't call me emeritus because <laughs> I totally don't know what that word means, I guess. Okay. okay I... Just like the light of a new day, it hit me from out.